what I would encourage Filipinos to do, when you, when you trace your family roots, I think it's important to build connections. Welcome to the First World Philippines podcast. podcast. Hey guys, this is a part two of our interview with Jonathan Hepner. If you have not done so before, please listen to part one because a lot of what we go into part two is following up on the details we covered in part one. So it makes sense to start with part one first. Okay, but if you've completed part one, then enjoy part two. We're going to go deep, even deeper in this part of the interview. Excited for you. My question is, it's a repeat question, but I want to give a couple of uh, ideas, is how to get the Filipino to fall back in love with the Filipino. Yeah. With the Filipino identity, to rediscover, um, I don't I won't say the word repent, but the deep meaning, the, obviously the Hebrew meaning of that is to come home. Yeah. So how do you get the Filipino to rediscover this sense of identity of who God designed them to be? Yeah. Now, your answer was beautiful because you have a very concrete example in the music, yeah. in, in the world of... Uh, the art, the world of art, in terms of Filipinos, were known as the the master copycats, master yeah. karaoke, and brilliant at that. Absolutely. And but that they reflected the lack of maybe self pride in their own. Yeah. So there has been a resurgence of OPM, original Filipino music. Yeah. And there's been we see it in the that's passed on into architecture and in. Yeah. So there's a lot of things sprouting up. What I have noticed is the Filipinos that I'm close with, sometimes leaving the country, spending time, spending a season in another country, makes you fall in love more with your own country because you start to realize the vision of what your country could become. Yeah. When you get taken out of the system for a period of time, like my own journey as, a, as an Irish man, I felt more in love with my own country when I was out of the country. Right. Because then you never appreciate it where you grew up. Right. Well, I had this sense of not appreciating it. Right. Now, that's wrong. That, uh, I'm not saying that's, that's not a, even a practical solution, asking right. people to physically leave, go there for two years, now come back. Do you appreciate home yeah. more? Yeah. Because not everyone has, will make that connection. But how do you, what are other ways Filipinos can fall in love? Like, rather than having to go to another culture and see, yeah. is there ways, like for example, I've seen Filipinos come to this massive realization when they've interacted with the tribes. Yeah. They've, they've actually had a sense of shame living in Metro Manila for such a long period of time and they never knew that was a day in the life of someone in the tribe, not too far away from Manila, yeah. like maybe three or four hours away, or actually going to a very far province and realizing for the first time, wow, my country is so, so beautiful. Yeah. And begin that journey of falling in love and unplugging from the matrix. So. I guess my, my question here, similar to the last time, what are other ways for Filipinos to recapture their identity that was really damaged by the colonial period, as we talked about before? What are other ways? And I, I love what you said of, to be creators and supporters of the local arts, yes, local entrepreneurs, yes, yes. folks that are making the decision to embrace their Filipino-isms. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right terminology. <laughs> We're going to go with it. <laughs> what, yeah. What else is it? Because you've given something very practical. I just love to give us something even, give us more. Well, I, I, I think you've nailed one. Travel, local travel is so, so important. Like, there's, there's a piece of this. Uh, when you're dealing with 
tribal, uh, like a tribal reality. I, like for me, Mindanao, um, there's a magic to it because it gives us a sense of this is what it looks like to never have experienced colonial rule, mm. right? The sort of the sense of tribe in Mindanao yeah. is so defined, mm. so defined. And there's a fierceness to the people, yeah. right? Now, because the Philippines is so regionally driven, driven um, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, a hot, it's a hot button topic or a sensitive topic, but I think when you begin to sort of do a sort of an aerial view of sort of cultural expressions of the different, you know, tribal regions within the Philippines, Ilocanos, Cebuanos, blah, 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 there's unique characteristics about all of them. I, I mean, and for me as a chef, that's, that's expressed in, in, in cuisine and food, and you can find there's uniqueness and just wonder that, that is layered in the, in the way they choose to prepare in sort of the core ingredients that are part of all the cuisine. There's a unique expression of value and what's important, right? And so when you travel, when you, when you explore the food, when you interact with people who have not been sort of raised, you know, at the at the teat of Manila, um, or it, it's such a different experience and you're exposed. I mean, that's why, I mean, you said it, I th when you said it, I thought it, I mean, absent make, absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? You, you think about home and all of the negative things sort of fade and you think of all the good things. So travel, of course, is important, but I, I think it's exposing yourself to culture and I think it's exposing yourself to home culture. So. When, when you think of where you're, when you trace where, from whence were we born, would sort of be the, the biblical language that we would use, right? We're, what's the story of our people? And, and how did we come to be here? And what was the, what were the dynamics? And, and who made these decisions? And like, I, we've worked with so many poor people who before World War II, their families were successful business people. And World War II wiped them out and they were, they've been in poverty for generations now. So part of our work with them is helping them rediscover that this is not who you are. This current economic reality that is shaping your worldview, this is not who you are. This is just the prison that you've been born in. You are from a proud people from, how do you rediscover? How do you reclaim the fact that the story that's been foisted on you is not your story? And I think that's a conversation that collectively Filipinos have to have. What is our story? Who stole it from us and how do we reclaim it? So what did we inherit? What, if, what, what is part of who we are? I mean, uh, Bebs and I were talking the other day, one of my friends, we were talking about how something happens. If you're in a, in a restaurant or in a, at a local festival and someone starts uh, a, a Spanish ballad, something happens to the entire room. There, you can feel the change in the entire atmosphere. Because for some reason, that sound has woven itself into Filipino culture. There's, there's some magic, it's just like, it's, it's like nothing you've ever seen before. It just, people don't listen to it every day, but it happens and everybody's just, it just, it's like everybody opens up. And I think in every culture of the world, there's little magic buttons like that, that tell us our story, that call us to reclaim 
sort of the, the, the romantic piece of who we are. So when I think about being a Canadian, I, I think of food that matters to me. I think of certain styles of music that matter to me, that, that they tell our story. Because we're an immigrant. We're an immigrant country. And so part of our story is the story of journey. It's trying to get somewhere to somewhere. It's running from violence and, and, and poverty to a place of possibility. So that is woven through, even our national anthem has all of that in that, right? And I, I think part of discovering identity is putting all of the pieces on the table and letting it be what it is. Let the story tell itself and then champion that rather than saying, Rather than living with a sense of ignorance, which, which I think is a lot of the problem, there's, there's a sort of a shallow understanding of the story, but no one, I mean, you use the word deep dives the implications of the story. No one deep dives the, the Spanish occupation followed by the American occupation, followed by the Japanese occupation, followed by the American occupation, and, and sort of the ripple effects of all of those things. I know that affects the way of thinking today. That's right. Oh, like I think of, okay, so they would all be my grandparents' age, but anybody who grew up in World War II and lived in Manila and watched the bombing of the beautiful city of Manila and the complete destruction and the piles of dead bodies and the, the, the cultural scarring of your most beautiful expression completely destroyed and what they build in in that place is replications of American architecture. Like, tell me that doesn't have deep emotional and cultural sort of consequences. And so, so, so for me, for Filipinos who are at the age where they're sort of reflecting on who am I, who am I going to become, who are we, who are we going to become, I think part of, part of the journey is... I mean, I, I, the language I would use is embracing the darkness. It's this darkness is part of our story. How do we turn the lights on? And I mean, so in Aboriginal culture, First Nations culture in Canada, one of the things that's common, and I'm sure lots of people have seen the movie, is they build totem poles. Yeah. Right? They carve totems. And those totems, they tell a story of what of sort of ancient deities and, 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 and sort of the, the journey of, of sort of the tribal reality. I think actually in, the, in the, you know, the Christian scriptures, they do a similar thing except they build altars. And so when you sort of track Old Testament stories, the people would, they'd have an experience, they'd, they'd fight a war, they'd win or they'd lose or something would happen and they would build what they called an altar of remembrance. We need to remember what happened here. And I think some of that is missing in the story of the Philippines. Of the Philippines. There's, there's key moments of memory, obviously, because we have national holidays and all, those kind of things. But some of the, the unique stories of the different pieces of the Philippines, I think for me, part of my perspective is we're good at selling, celebrating Western holidays way better than we are at celebrating Filipino, Filipino holidays. Yeah. That's true. Right? We'll, we'll, we'll do things that are so representative of other parts of the world and we lose the deep core resonance of why this matters to us. Can I jump on something that's super hot topic? but it's totally related to this. Yeah. And we touched on this phrase earlier, 
but I want to give you credit. You're the first one I, I learned this phrase from the glorification of whiteness. Yeah. And the consequence that has today, and the statistics are something like 50% of, of Filipinos use whitening products on a daily basis. Yeah. I'll ask the question to you. Do you think those millions of people, tens of millions of Filipinos, do they know what they're doing? Do they know the consequences of what they're doing? Uh, can you just talk to that group yeah. right now? What, what would you say to them that are consuming whitening products on a, on a daily basis, believing that this is what they need to do to become beautiful, to be accepted, to be loved, to be appreciated? Well, I mean, this is a, this, for me, this is a culture, this is a conversation about the power of media and those responsible for pumping the imagery. Right, and so, so many of us, sort of the age of awareness, when we come to sort of self-awareness, that's not necessarily a given. Not everybody comes to a place where they're like, huh, I understand why I do what I do. And, not, and unfortunately, too few of us are put in environments that give us the skills to kind of, to, to kind of sort of de deconstruct, how did I become this way? How did I make the decisions to come become this how why do I do why do I do these things too few of us have the space the time and the expertise you know outside voices that that allow us to and some right? of us never do yeah and that and, and that's kind of my point is that so many people we're products of of the world that's been shaped for us and so we're told that white is better we're told that um, white is wealth we're told that, 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 that. I mean, the, we could just list comments. Now, unfortunately, because of the way the world is structured, that seems to be true, right? Like, I'm a Canadian. I'm a white male Canadian. I have, I'm in the top, and I'm not a wealthy person by any means. In Canada, my income, I'm below the poverty line. But here, just because of the color of my skin, I'm treated like a rock star. Right? I can get whatever I want at any moment if I just sort of assert my whiteness, right? So there's a, for me, there's a self-awareness that, okay, I, I can play the system because the system is structured this way. It has been wired to believe that white is better. Now, who started that? Well, that's, I mean, that's a conversation of colonialism. That's a conversation of it's allowed to remain as such because it has benefited the right people. But in terms of where that begins and where that ends, I would contend that it's about education, yeah. education, and education. Because it's education that empowers people to challenges, to, to challenge cultural power. So, I mean, I see it, they're popping up all over the place, sort of these, these sort of smaller, sort of cultural revolutionary groups, and revolutionary may be a little bit too hot-blooded a term, but they're, they're aggressively challenging sort of all of this idea that in order for you to be sexy or beautiful or wonderful, you've got to have pale skin, you've got to have, you've got to look this way. Because that idea, it erodes your sense of self, right? So if I'm born and I, I feel sort of irresponsible speaking to it because I was born with white skin but when when I when I look at people who were born like even here I mean for years you could tell the poor people because they had darker skin 
it was a classification. It was a class system. The whiter you were, the obviously the wealthier you were. And I mean, this is not unique to the Philippines. This is India. This is so many third world countries, right? Where the lack of education, the lack of, of self-awareness, self-identity leaves you prey to the predominant voice of, of a media driven by a white world that wants to stay in power. And that's what I would contend. It's a little bit conspiracy theorist, but you know, let's go X-Files. The truth is out there. We're <laughs> Welcome to this podcast. <laughs> but, but I think that's some of it. I think yeah, it's, it's, it's a manipulation because who wants to give up power? Who want, like, as, as white people, who wants to give up the, the right to play the white card if you're in a jam? Who wants to do that? Well, it, my contention is only those who believe themselves to be responsible citizens of the world. And, and that's truly where change comes from. People who are willingly, who are willing to divest themselves of power for the right of those who don't have any, because those who don't have any don't know that they should have. Silence is violence. Yes. And I can put, I think of all the social issues in the Philippines, the, what causes me pain is when I see these billboards because I know it's driven by exploitation and greed. But what and say? Photoshop. Photoshop, of course. <laughs> Turn up the... Well, you see the one on Edsa where they got the, the girl's photoshopped arm where it looks like, I mean, she's got toothpicks for arms. I'm like, she's fully normal. And then she's got these whoop, little chopsticks for arms. And I'm like, somebody got fired because that is a bad picture. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted no you. That was a nice tangent. <laughs> you like that? I like that. I thought I threw that in there. I guess is yeah, if people continue to remain silent, darkness will continue. Yes. And that the, the people that are victims, that you can't be angry at them because they're victims of a system. Yes. And it's the easiest thing to do, to be angry at people for being in that situation. But... Uh, definitely me and you, we, we weren't born into poverty. No. I think there's, there's a, if you, the missing ingredients in the Philippines, the Philippines is so much, you talked about Malasakis, empathy yeah. for others, but at the same time, the, the dangerous dark side of the Philippines, that also so much lack of empathy yeah. for others that are not in your tribe, that are not, if you're not from the same planet as me, you know, some people have, Windows Fire is describing the Philippines as one of the cruelest countries in the world for how it treats itself. Yeah. Um, well, let me jump in here. Yeah, let me, well, let me be, let me, let me be a little controversial here. I, I think a classic example. So present administration's desire to deal with the drug problem of the Philippines. Okay, what we learned in the West when Ronald Reagan was in power and the Just Say No campaign was in full throat, that um, police enforcement, um, incarceration, um, aggressive, um, aggressively dealing with um, drug addicts, drug pushers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, with prison time, didn't even move the needle, like nothing. 
And so we've adopted a policy that doesn't work, hoping that if we're violent enough, if we're scary enough, it'll change people who have no options. And so for me, it's part of the conundrum of what I see happening in the Philippines, where there's this fear and desire to make the Philippines better, but it's, let's take the shortest route possible. Let's just get rid of the problems. Let's dredge the river and celebrate that we dredged the river. But we never actually dealt with what's dumping into the river in the first place. And so what we know to be true, and this is globally accepted as statistically true and proved out with evidence in multiple countries is the only way to deal with drug addiction and drug problems is education. Full stop, period. So we, we don't even consider that. And we look at the, what school teachers are paid here. We look at the way public education is dealt with here. We, we, we look at the style of education. We, I mean, so one of my friends, she works in the, the Ministry of Education here, and that's the common frustration, is there is so much to, that could be done in terms of educating the young, giving them access to the, the, the very tools necessary to make, uh, to make good decisions about life and future, and we would rather pour the money into things that will produce seemingly short-term spikes, but zero long-term benefit. And that's, that's part of the deal. So one of the things that we, so I've done lots of leadership training with young people, and one of the things that we find between ages in 20 and 24, uh, usually young people develop some ability, they, they develop a, the, the skill of sagacity, the, able, the, the, the ability to take in information and forecast a future. Uh, I know what's coming now based on this, this data, I know what's coming. To me, that's, it's either a, a lack of education or an intentional ignorance that we just will pretend that this is going to work and that we just want the problem to go away, which is why we we have street sweepers who will get rid of the trash and we'll just never go near Tondo, right? We'll have, we, we have more and more garbage workers who are collecting the trash and just larger and larger garbage heaps. It's why we'll continue to buy plastic products from the West instead of going local and going to our local, I mean, finding ways for more and more farmers markets and local markets where you can bring your, I mean, I mean, there's so, there's hundreds of thousands of examples of just little things that demonstrate a lack of value and a misunderstanding of the way society works and the way culture is developed. But it's a, there, there seems to be no immediacy, no, no, we've got to do this now and we've got to do this for us. And it's, it's not going to fix itself in the next four years. This is the next quarter of a century. We've got to give ourselves to this process. Because nothing, nothing that changes fast is lasting. So if everybody's celebrating over the quick turnaround, over the absence of drug dealers, or not drug dealers, drug users on the streets in two or three years, are, you're the one doing drugs. Because the problem hasn't gone away, because nothing happens that fast. Ever, 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 ever. What we've done is we've driven the problem underground, and there's just a lot of corpses. And, and for me, it's just terribly tragic that we would buy into an idea that has proven itself to be wrong for the last millennia. It just doesn't work that way. Ever. Period.
Mm. The billboard question. <laughs> Toothpick arms. All right, we're back to that. <laughs> no, no. Well, yeah. the visual of a billboard and a message that you would be right on that billboard that would be seen by every Filipino tomorrow. Ibig Sabine, a short message that, that can be read in a few seconds. What would that message be and why? I think that message would be see for me it's a little it's uh, I can think of 50 off the top of my head right uh, because but unfortunately because of the pervasiveness of what the current billboard teaches there's no one-liner that's gonna, there's no, you know, one pill killer that's gonna just flush the, sort of the, the coding from the system. I mean, you, you wanna be able to say, you want, like, okay, I'm just gonna say it and then with a caveat, like, Filipino is beautiful. Not the caricatured versions, not, not the, the versions that we imagine because of what's been pumped into our brains. But the authentic, real, now, exactly as you are version. In your darkness, in wh whether you've got curly hair, whether, you, whether you're short, whether you're plump, whether you're tall, it, like none of these things are issues. I, I think, it, to me, the message that needs to be heard is the message that needs to be heard by every culture in different ways. We just all have our different unique areas of brokenness and darkness. And this is one that just needs to be said to the Philippines. White is not beautiful. It just isn't. White is white. It's boring. That's an attention headline. I like that. Yeah, white it's boring. White is boring. It basically means no color. <laughs> okay? It's just boring. White is what you are when you die. All the blood drains from your face, and basically white has no life. <laughs> well, I like this anti-white turn, turn around. Yeah, yeah. Do you like that? Yeah. Uh, but that's, I love that. Yeah. I love that. I, actually, you know our mutual friend, Anne from Young Focus? Yes, yes. I asked her the same question. And she says, forgive the, the pun which is taken from a shampoo advert, but yeah. you're worth it. Yes. Uh, you have value. Yes. My cuenta ca. Yes. Um, and that her, the reasons for giving that answer are exactly the same as yours. Yeah. This false belief that other culture, cultures have given the Philippines, magnified by media in, in, in recent history, has, is really at the heart of a lot of the social issues that we see yeah. in this country. Yeah. Um, I want to, we're coming towards the end. Okay. Uh, we have to get some food in you before yeah. you leave. Uh, go on your 30 minute commute. So it's just 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, right. we'll, we'll get some food in. Not but anymore. <laughs> I'm currently reading Jonathan's book. Do you want to share the title of the book? Or will it change in the coming? No, I, yeah, no, uh, the title said When Light Meets Darkness. When Light Meets Darkness. It's, yeah. I'm three quarters of the way through. So beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. I mean, really, uh, I'm, I'm struggling to use the English word to describe it. I yeah. may have to act out. <laughs> I, before we recorded, I talked yeah. about how very 
heavy in a beautiful way. I, the imagery I'll give to describe how it's having an effect on me, it's like I'm being walked on a path in a forest that I've never been before, but yet I think I've been there before. Yeah. I'm being guided to... It's very beautiful reflections of really what this journey is about. Like yeah. To not be... I think one of the messages that I'm getting from Jonathan's writings and from your sermons in recent years is stop being plugged in to culture, to this yeah. culture. There is, this is not what we're designed to be. So as we... And you can take this answer in any way, in imagery, in words, but what could this country could be for you? What is your vision of the Philippines and the Filipino people? I think that we talked about it earlier. One of the wonders of the Filipino is uh, her, his, their adaptability, their ability to to step into any place and create home. Like it, it's really, it's like I don't know any other word than magical um, that they. I mean, it's why you travel the world and they, they cheerfully work the fast food counters. I mean, like, it, it, and it totally changes the experience. It's, it's, a, it's a totally radical, um, I, I don't, I, I am, I don't know that the, the that Filipi Filipinos are aware of their effect, right? On, on the world and who I think the Filipino could be. I mean, the question that I've asked in much more spiritual context is what does it look like to be a, and, and this is the question that I would ask is what, what does it look like to be a 21st century Filipino who is in full grasp of their story, their history, but fully leaning into a modern expression of hope and possibility. And, and I think Maybe that's the question that we're asking. What would it look like to be fully present to who the Filipino could be? I think it's a person who is, who is creative, who is loving, who, I mean, Filipinos celebrate and party like, like nobody else. Uh, and to, to create environments and opportunities and possibilities that teach other cult cultures how to celebrate, teach other cultures how to create family, how to create home, how to create connection, and how to actually contend on behalf of my tribe. I mean, so, I mean, we call them barcadas here, but in, in Canada, we would call them, that's your tribe, that's your people, that's your... I think what could be is I think Filipinos could be the greatest evangelists evangelist of hope of what is good and what is beautiful about the human soul. Um, I, I, like, I think that's, that's part of what I see and part of what I, I believe for. And that I think that happens when she rediscovers, when he rediscovers that all of our expressions come from the place of roots. This is where I come from and I'm proud of it.
there is, we share what, I wouldn't say a favorite quote, but it's definitely one of my favorite quotes. And recently, you ended one of your sermons on this quote. Emerson? Okay. Do you want to quote that and how that quote fits in with the message you're saying? If you can, you don't have to have it word by word. Let me see if I can pull it up. Let's pull it up. Let's get it right. Okay. Because <laughs> it's such a good quote. I can butcher it. Yeah, butcher it. Life is a journey of to never seek from discovery, but to end in a place where you began, yeah. but to know it for the first time. Yeah. So you can get the exact quote. And I want you to talk to that, that quote, the very beautiful phrase and what that means for the story of the Filipino. Yeah. So. Yeah. You can edit this out, right? While I figure of this course, out. Of course. Okay, worry. good. Um. Sorry, that's the disadvantage of me not having a script, but I do these. I should have um, prepared this in advance. No, it's okay. But I know that quote has a lot of power in your yes, and a lot of your messaging, leaning into the darkness. But what for the Filipino? What is coming back home to where he or she began, but to know it for the first time? Yeah. Come on. It's gonna bug me now. So now we have to find it. Um, for the. Emerson, yeah, is that the author? I th I think it's uh, I think it's T. S. Eliot. T. S. Eliot, yes. Like, cause I. The reason why it sticks in my mind it was the the ending of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah. Stephen Covey. Yeah, it is T. S. Eliot. T. S. Eliot. Sorry, I Because I was like, I don't know a quote like that from Emerson. I was panicking. Okay, so that's test. Okay, now we got it. You know your quotes. Yeah, here it is. Read this, and I want you to answer. What does this mean for the Filipino? Okay, we shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. T. S. Eliot. I think this is the story of roots. I think it's the story of, it's in the discovery of, it's in the discovering of who we are and where we came from that we find a place of home, a place of value where, oh, I belong here. But it's in the discovery that we realize I belonged here the whole time. This is where I came from. This is, this is part of the whole, the whole magic of the process of deconstruction is you begin to realize, man, I, I've, I haven't known this, but I've known this. Or I've known this, but I haven't known this. Where it's, it's these layers of unpacking. Um, I mean, I, my, my mom used to say this to me, that part of the process of discovering who we are, it's like peeling an onion. I see the whole onion, but every time I think I've peeled what I think it is, there's a whole nother layer. 
And it's not that it's a new onion, it's the same onion, it's just a different onion because it's the same onion, but it's a different layer. And I think, I think that's what T.S. Eliot was driving at is, is we keep pressing and we keep discovering, realizing that I knew this, but I didn't know this. And I think that's what it means for the, for the process of sort of self-discovery and culture is where we relearn what we knew and realize we didn't know what we knew. And then we know what we thought we knew, but didn't know what we knew until we thought we knew it and then discovered we didn't know it. <laughs> Anyone who's listening to Double Speed will have to go back. <laughs> exactly. I don't know what I just said, but it was brilliant. <laughs> Definitely. This is a repeat episode. So, so Jonathan, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. This has been way longer than we initially planned. Yeah. Absolutely grateful that we've deep dive on a, perhaps the title of this is the story of the Filipino. Yeah. Perhaps this is the title of this, uh, this episode, this conversation. And I, I want to give you a final question and yeah. this will be last words you can close out. Yeah. As, as I mentioned before, you have, you came here when you're 12 years old, many years yeah. ago. Yeah. Three parts of your life, three major parts of your life have been in the Philippines. Yeah. Mixing with Filipinos. This country has changed you. This country has made you the man you are today. Yeah. A big part of your heart, even though you're born in Canada, yeah, yeah. a big part of your heart is a bit Filipino. <laughs> That's right. It's been influenced for sure. Yeah. Um, in the event, because God, we don't know when the time comes. Yeah. I apologize if this is a heavy question to end up. Because <laughs> you are going leaving shortly. Yeah. Uh, in the event this you don't come back to the Philippines that maybe God has got other plans for you in other parts of the world what would your what would your message be to Filipinos that are, that are here in the Philippines to and maybe this is a summary of everything you've said so yeah. forgive the, what's your message to discover who they really are discover their beauty to become the world class Filipino that they were designed yeah. to be what is freedom to answer this in any way you want there's a there's a an, a, an ancient rabbinic tradition um, where rabbis would teach their disciples um, a, a discipline of living and, and the discipline was called kavanah and what kavanah was it was a teaching someone to live in a premeditated way where they would they would they would begin the practice by believing that every word, every action, every deed, every thought, every interaction, every piece of business, every journey, every step, every act of taking care of your body was something that was holy. And so they would, they would learn this discipline of, can I live in such a way that everything that I do becomes this expression of belief that the divine is present now that the divine is not a religious practice the divine is an all-encompassing worldview that changes the way i approach everything what i would say is that what what the philippines is waiting for is a people who are gripped with a sense of i have been i i'm here for this time in this place and it matters 
And if I will live with intention, I can make, an, a, diff I can make a difference. And in, if enough people choose to believe that they can make a difference, that they actually, in the very little things that they do, whether it's choosing to recycle or choosing to obey the laws or choosing to lobby for laws that need to be changed or building a healthy business that benefits your, your local, uh, the local place where you live, paying your taxes appropriately, or, or, or any of the things that make us just so many human beings who live in relationship with other human beings. When we do that with intention in a way that we see as holy, this matters. Well, that changes the world. I mean, that, I think it was Mary Oliver who said that and you butchered a quote earlier, I'm about to butcher this quote. Um, the people who change, a small group of people can, who believe the right things. And this is not, this, I'm not butchering this quote, I'm, I'm making the quote better. <laughs> when a small group, sorry Mary, sorry. When a small group of people choose to believe the right things in the right way with all of their heart, they will change the world. And what Mary said, what Miss Oliver said, was indeed, they are the only people who ever have. That's what I would say. Time to get out there and change the world! <laughs> I think there's no stronger call to action than that. Brother, I've got my call, so I'll just give you a man shoulder. Elbow bump, elbow, elbow bump. bump. Awkward white guy, elbow bump. <laughs> Thank you so much. We're going to stay in yeah. contact. We're going to yeah. put your contact. Oh, are you still contactable in your new mission and your new assignment? No, or? we're going into covert ops, covert, okay. underground, uh, you know, some partnership with the CIA. And so, no, no, I'm totally contactable. Okay, so we'll leave your contact details <laughs> yeah. after this podcast sure. to people. Uh, and the, the podcast notes, obviously, in the, the show notes under the, the video description yeah. where people want to personally reach out to you huh. uh, after this intense most likely three-part uh, <laughs> amazing this is the highlight of my week uh, awesome God my pleasure you, thank yeah. you so much hey this is mike again thank you so much for listening to the first world philippines podcast it would mean so much to me if you left a review if you share this podcast somehow help us spread the word we do this for free all we ask in return please consider sharing this with your friends people who love the Philippines, and people who want to become successful in this country. This is their podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode.